So I believe that the mission of God is that he would have his people be his family. So if you're sitting close to someone, elbow them and be like, hey, family. That's God's mission. Hundreds of times in the Bible, hundreds of times, God says it this way to various people groups. He says, I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. God says this to people who are rebellious. He says this to people who are sinful, who are self-righteous, who are religious. It's like a father getting down on one knee and looking at a bunch of like rebellious kids in a park who don't have a dad. And he says, I'm going to be your dad and you're going to be my kids. They don't really want a dad. They they don't really think they need a dad. But he says, I'm going to be your dad and you're going to be my kids. And that is the father heart of God. That is the mission of God in its simplicity, that he would adopt a bunch of rebellious kids into his family, and he would love them, and he would change their heart, and and, and he would help them grow to love the things that he loves, and he would make us more like him. And God's a father when he adopts you. You are now part of the family. You've got brothers and sisters, and that's when you hear people saying uh, that I've got brothers and sisters in Christ, that's what they're talking about. If you're connected to God, then we're connected to his people. God didn't design us to be alone. God designed us to be a family. There's this website um, called Awkward Family Photos. Anyone ever run across Awkward Family Photos? Anyone ever take an awkward family photo? Okay. Um, I just want to share with you a couple this morning um, because we're family. This one, the It was a little off focus. The person wasn't able to take it. All right, go ahead. Uh, (laughs) These people really love their pig. All right. (laughs) Her finger wandered a little. (laughs) I I would love to know the story of why they let him wear that mask right there. Uh, Some mullets, mullet family. This... (laughs) This seems like something that'll happen in my life someday, right there. All right. So in Philippians, uh, which is the book that we're studying here for these last few weeks, Paul and Timothy are writing this letter to a church, to a group of, of people that have become family, and they refer to them as brothers and sisters. So as you read through that, you'll see they call them um, to my brothers and sisters. And think of it this way. Um, it's as if we're all going to dad's house for for a really big party, and we're all in the station wagon on our way, annoying the junk out of each other, right? Like poking, pushing, are we there yet? Are we there yet? When's the bathroom? What's going on? We're going to Missouri in a few weeks. I am highly anticipating this is what it's going to be like. And this this is what life is called, that we're just all in this big station wagon going toward home, and, and, and dad's driving, and all of these things are happening in the back. So, so this is what I wrote in my notes today. Let me reduce your expectations for Christianity this morning. <laughs> all right? You, you say in your head, hopefully in your head, don't say it out loud, that person is annoying. They're driving me crazy. Why are they doing that? What is going on? Welcome to the family of God, okay? This is it. This is what happens. This is what happens in the family of God. We need to reset the preset because this is community. Community is when sometimes we have brothers and sisters. It doesn't mean that we're perfect, like riding our tandem bike down the road, um, you know, quoting Leviticus, singing songs all in unison with perfect harmonies. I know the abandons would appreciate that. You know, so that isn't what it is. That's not what it means. That's not what community means. So this morning, we're going to reset our preset on what community means. What it means is, you're going to annoy me, and I'm going to annoy you, (laughs) and we're going to do life together because we're family. 
All right, that's what we're gonna do. And at the core of this community, the thing that keeps us all together is this beautiful commitment to the same God. It's the one thing, maybe the only thing, that we have in common with someone else is that we both have this deep, thankful, loving understanding of what it means to have fellowship with Jesus, and it's unmatched. It's, it's, it can't be replicated. It can't be faked. It's unique. It's refreshing. It's the thing that holds us together. If nothing else is possibly the same, it's the thing that can let a Steelers fan and a Browns fan sit together in the same pew, right? Is that we both love Jesus, and we're both serving him. Now, the scripture tells us that before even the world was made, God was determined to one day have a people, a community, that was holy and blameless before God. Community is at the very heartbeat of what God dreamed of for his church. And he talks about it a lot. And I think sometimes we get so caught up in like meetings or the worship style or the, the, the thing that we're studying or the thing, the entertainment factor or yeah, church is just okay this morning or whatever. And we forget about forging community as a church. We forget about working hard to build community because that's the road less traveled because it's harder. It's harder to deal with the people that annoy you in the station wagon than to critique what happened on a Sunday, right? Community is costly. It involves us laying down our lives for each other, and it can only be birthed in sacrifice. But when done right, when done consistently, when done working hard, it can be remarkably, beautifully, dangerously revolutionary. In fact, the world is still being affected by 120 people who loved God and each other from the New Testament that community in Acts that we read about, that community that was described as there was no one in need. That kind of community is revolutionary. And that kind of community is what God has designed us to live. So this morning, I want to reset the preset on three myths about community, okay? Are you ready? Here we go. All right, the first myth is this. Revolutionary community happens in the shallow end. That is a pool reference because I'm thinking about summer, okay? Are you with me? We're going, we're going into summertime mode here, whether the weather cooperates or not. And the truth is, revolutionary community requires depth. So if you're taking notes, that's what the first note is. Revolutionary community happens in the shallow end is the myth, and revolutionary community requires depth. So Epaphroditus, and I want you to try to say that to the person next to you so I don't feel so dumb. Epaphroditus, say it up, try, just wrestle through it so that you don't, okay, now I'm gonna, all right, but he played a key role in biblical history. I'm not gonna make you raise your hand, but many of us haven't even heard of him. I know that I knew very little about him until I studied him for this message. His name isn't immediately recognizable, obviously impossible for me to pronounce as I've tried all week. But Epaphroditus is the one, he's the guy who delivered the original manuscript of Philippians to the church in Philippi. So Paul, he's in prison, he's writing the letter to Philippi, and he gives it to, I'm just going to call him Epa, is that okay? So that you guys don't struggle with me through this whole thing. And um, he takes it back to Philippi. So if he hadn't done his job, we wouldn't be studying this scripture today, right? Because they would have never gotten the letter. And Paul was under um, house arrest in Rome, actually in prison and house arrest in Rome, and he, um, the church wanted to send him a care package of sorts. So the Philippians gathered supplies and they sent them to Rome 
in the hands of Epaphroditus, and he faithfully delivered um, the gift from his home church. So as he was there, the scripture says he gets really ill. It doesn't really talk about how he gets ill, but they said, in fact, he almost dies. And God graciously grants him health. And Paul sends his friend back home with this newly penned book of Philippians. So that's the story of how the letter got back there. Now, I just want to read to you from part of the book of Philippians that Paul wrote. And he says this. This is in Philippians 2, 25 through 30. I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, my coworker, my fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. So to the Philippians, Ephra was a messenger who delivered a package. Okay, in essence, he was like an Old Testament FedEx guy, all right? When my FedEx guy comes to the door, bang, 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 how you doing? Good, see you later. I have no idea what kind of day he's had. I have no idea what was going on with him. And the Philippians didn't either. They had no idea the trouble that he had to get there. They had no idea that he was ill when he got there and that he almost died. But to Paul, to Paul, Epa was so much more. And we know that because he calls him three things. He calls him a brother, meaning we belong to the same family, right? We, we're together. We're together on this. We belong to the same family of God. It also implies it's a relationship Paul enjoyed. He's my brother, brother from another mother. You know, he's my brother. Like, here we are. It was someone he walked with in life. It was someone he cared for deeply. It was someone who he didn't just keep up with on the shallow life events. He knew Ephra's hopes and dreams and feelings. Paul knew what Ephra liked in his coffee and what his fantasy draft picks were. (laughs) He knew those things about him. And and he knew that they had conversations about how life was difficult and things that were frustrating for him. Paul also called him a coworker. And this doesn't mean they both worked at FedEx together, okay? It implies that in life, they were laboring toward the same goal. They were working alongside each other to advance the cause of Christ. Both Paul and Ephraim knew there was a job to be done, and they were serious about working together to accomplish God's purposes. And their connection ran deep because they were co-workers for Jesus. They were on God's time clock, and they were doing that together, even if they weren't together all the time. He says, you're a brother, you're a co-worker, and you're a fellow soldier. I find that um, ironic on Memorial Day as we talk about this, but you only need soldiers if there's a battle to be fought, right? You don't need soldiers if there's no war. You only need soldiers if there's a battle to be fought. And Paul and Ephraim recognize the battle. They recognized the spiritual battle, the internal battle, the real-life war that was raging around them. And Paul and Ephra decided to fight these days together. They said, I'm going to make a battle plan. We're going we're to hold each other accountable. We're going to get through this together. No matter what happens, we're not going to lose this war. Paul and Ephra didn't just stay in the shallow end and wave at each other on Sunday. How you doing? Good. How you doing? Good. No wonder community is hard to find when we just wade so carefully in that shallow end. Paul and Ephraim went deep. 
so deep that Paul describes him as a brother, a coworker, a fellow soldier. Who is it in your life that you can describe that way? Who can you point to and know that you're working alongside one another on God's time clock? Who is it that you're fighting the battle with as a fellow soldier? Who is that? Because revolutionary community requires depth. All right, second, myth number two. Revolutionary community is completely organic. Everyone do this for me, organic. Because it's like, I'm kind of, yeah, organic. Okay, that's the myth, organic. The truth is revolutionary community requires intentionality. Intentionality. Now, the word organic has kind of become a buzzword in the last um, few years in our culture. There's like organic coconut oil, organic whole food stores, organic brownies. Got this for my kid. Tastes like dirt, okay? Like I tried, I tried, I really did. They wanted the cosmic ones. But um, organic equates to something it says that is pure, without preservative or additive, something that grows without help. You don't need a fertilizer, you don't need a chemical. Now, I believe that community grows naturally out of healthy relationships, and it's most effective when it's not forced. That's absolutely true. That's the organic part. But the truth is, community does not just grow on its own. Just like if you um, were planting a garden this year, and you just stood on your back porch, and you were like, to the wind, you know, and like the next day, there was like a field, right? That's not going to happen. Everyone everyone knows that. Okay. (laughs) Or it's going to taste like dirt somehow, but it needs intentionality to maintain. Maybe it needs organic to grow, right? Organic to start, but it needs intentionality to maintain. You know, the community that Jesus formed with his 12 disciples, he formed, there's several um, examples of community that Jesus does in the scripture, but the particular one I want to look at today is the one he formed with his 12 disciples. It was intentional. It was very intentional. It was an organic very much at all, actually, it's very unlikely that a tax collector and a fisherman would have naturally come together. Can you imagine what they talked about? Had Jesus not called them both? Now, interestingly, in the New Testament, we watch as Jesus builds revolutionary, ultimate community, and it starts by him intentionally calling the disciples. He doesn't just, like, show up and he's like, oh, this is, yeah, we connect, you know, I'm just feeling it. I'm feeling the, the connection. Matthew 9, 9 says, he tells Matthew, he says, get up from your tax collector's booth and follow me. When Jesus says that you do it. Matthew 4, 18, he's walking along the Sea of Galilee and he calls to the fisherman, Simon called Peter and his brother, and he says, follow me. He calls them. He, he dials them up. He seeks them out. He intentionally, physically builds the community. He says, I'm going to have this guy, and then I'm going to ask this guy, and then I'm going to ask this guy. He doesn't just fall into it. You know, sometimes um, my students complain in Kyle about not be, feeling part of the family, or they don't feel like the community, they don't feel part of the community. And you may say that this morning, you may not feel part of the Christian community, you may not far, feel part of this church's community, and, and I'm compassionate to them when they say that, because that's a terrible feeling. And I'm compassionate to you this morning if, if you feel that way, that's a really terrible feeling. But I also have to ask them, and I have to ask you the hard question of, who have you called and invited to lunch? Who have you messaged and asked how their life is? Who have you intentionally invited into your life this week? Because it doesn't just happen. It doesn't just spring up. Like, I, can't, I, I walked in, and now we're BFF for life. You know, like, that, that doesn't, it doesn't work that way. 
Intentionality is what makes community flourish. And I believe that we have to do things on purpose in order to build community. Are you with me? Okay. All right. Next, Jesus didn't, so he was intentional. He called them up. And the second thing he did is he called a very diverse group of people. Um, Peter was a married guy who, had, who was a natural spokesperson, a crazy redheaded temper, they say. Um, John already had ministry experience with John the Baptist. He, he was like already in full-time ministry. So he was uh, a guy he called James, was a fisherman. Philip's name meant that he loved horses. Matthew um, was a tax collector. The group was diverse. Jesus surrounded himself with people of all different passions and life experiences on purpose. Because community isn't always about finding people just like us. Reset or preset on this. It isn't always about finding people that we feel perfectly comfortable with or people that agree with every statement that we make. That's what husbands are for. <laughs> community is about diversity. It's about thinking about who, who can I ask to join in my circle of community? Is everyone just like me? Is everyone young and married, just like me? Is everyone, everyone retired, just like me? Is everyone from a Christian background? Does everyone have the same political view? Because I don't really like it when people say things about, you know, what I, what I don't agree with. Is everybody from the same economic status? Community is diverse. And, and it might make us feel a little bit uncomfortable sometimes, but Jesus models it that we have to ask and invite people into our community that aren't exactly like us. So evaluate that. Evaluate who it is that you are inviting into your community. Intentional revolutionary community is also missional. Say that word out loud, missional. It's missional, all right? I don't even know if that's a word because in my spell check it wouldn't come up, but that's a word I use all the time. So that's a Nicole Schreiber term that we're just going to use. It's missional. Now, um, on every door that you enter, you builders would know this, on every door there are hinges, right, that keep the door attached, HGTV right here, okay? There are hinges that keep the door attached to the frame, and um, there are different kinds of hinges, all right? And I, I saw this life hack this week. Um, when approaching a door, look for the hinges. If you see them, if you see the hinges, you pull the door. If you don't, you push it. This will help you avoid some embarrassing moments, all right? No charge for that advice. You guys get that one for free. All right, I just put that in there so that you know. Um, so here's what I find interesting. A hinge allows a door to open, right? It allows uh, a door to open typically only one way for one exclusive purpose. So hinges on the outside, I guess, I'm learning, means you pull a door. Hinges on the inside mean you push. And the hinge allows the door to fulfill its function. However, it's also limited by its function as well. Like you can't push a door you're supposed to pull. Has anyone ever done that? Okay, thank you, brave souls who are admitting that happens. And I believe that community has hinges and can choose to have hinges that only swing in or only swing out as well. All right, so community that has hinges that only swing in create this, uh, this self-serving, kind of self-loving, impenetrable community. It's very safe. It's very comfortable it requires very little from one another, and it has very little diversity. The door closes easily behind them so that no one else can come in unless invited. And this type of community forgets what initially brought these people together. And it becomes only relevant to themselves and ultimately fails to reflect biblical community in a big way. 
But then on the other hand, there are communities that only push out. And this type of community is um, isolated from each other. There's no chemistry. There's no togetherness. We all, we all kind of do our own thing. Like, well, we came, we showed up, yeah, you know. It, it, nothing ever materializes. No depth is ever attained. And it fails to reflect what Jesus would actually deem as community. But there's a third type of door. There's a third type of hinge. And it looks a little bit like this. These hinges swing both in and out. Have you seen these? In kitchen doors, I, I think of a lot, like at restaurants. And this is the approach that acknowledges that we need to have depth and diversity and intention. The approach that knows healthy community requires deeper than surface relationships and chemistry with one another. But this type of community is careful not to just love themselves or their purpose and all the while neglecting loving others. They make efforts to be missional. They make efforts to be missional. They make efforts to open the doors and expand their community into places where God is not present and to ask people who aren't like them, who are diverse, and intentionally ask them to join in their conversation in the moments of their life. The kingdom of God is made of doors hinged that swing outside and in. Doors that swing open easily and freely, but keep everybody in close so we can fulfill the very thing that Jesus came to teach the disciples. He built the community intentionally with diverse people so that he could teach them to be missional. Check it out in Matthew 28. He says, here he is with the 11 disciples. They're standing in Galilee on the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He says, I got you in, but these doors are swinging open freely. And we need to go out and make disciples of all nations. Revolutionary community is intentionally missional. It's intentionally missional. All right, here's the third myth. Myth number three. Revolutionary community is when good friends support me. And the truth is, revolutionary community requires me to be a good supportive friend. That word me is in both. Do you see what I did there? All right. (laughs) Philippians 2, 5 through 8 says this. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So in Philippians, just a little bit above the chapter that talks about Ephroditus and and Paul and Timothy, Paul is saying, in your relationships with one another, be like Jesus. Well, what's Jesus like? Well, he made himself nothing. He made himself nothing. Now, in Greek, this is translated kenosis. Say that with me, kenosis. Kenosis. It's a word that describes self-emptying. So on the cross, Jesus empties himself for the sake of humanity. He, he is self-emptying. And in our community... Jesus says, here's, here's how you be like me. You be self-emptying. You, be, you have kenosis to give way to our own wills and desires and selfish ambitions and to be servants to one another in love. And this changes everything about revolutionary community. 
It resets the whole preset. Because what if, what if we measured community not by what we get from our friends, not by the support they give us in a difficult time or the amount of people that check in on us throughout the week or the amount of cards that we got when we were sick or when we had a baby or, or what happens if we quit measuring that but we measure community on how often we got to support each other. This week, man, this, this, week was, this week was awesome. I got to pray with a friend who was struggling. I got to mow my neighbor's lawn for him because he's out of town. I, I got to buy my favorite pastor Mexican after lunch. They told me to say that. Um, but, you know, kenosis. Like, like, I got to do these things. I got to self-empty myself. Revolutionary community gives us the opportunity to empty ourselves into the community of God for each other. And you know what I love, and this is a, this is a whole other day and a whole other sermon series, but when we are self-emptying, we leave room in our life for God to deposit gifts. And these gifts that he deposits, we use to serve the community. So as we continue to give out, he just continues to deposit. As we continue to be self-emptying, he continues to give so that we can continue giving. Um, Galatians 6.2 says this, carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. I'm going to read that again. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. How many of you have ever had a situation in your life that you needed help carrying the burden? Me too. God makes it that way. God makes it that way because we're all in this together. It's his incredible, wise plan because we are never, ever meant to do it on our own. And this is where our intentions have to grow legs. It's, it's no coincidence that in the scripture they use that strong verb carry when they're talking about burdens. It could have said, like, talk about each other's burdens. That's what women like to do. <laughs> Cry about each other's burdens. Think really hard about each other's burdens. That's what men like to do. Figure it out, right? He didn't say any of that. He said, carry, carry them, carry it. It's an action verb. I picture like carrying a really large piano down a really tiny set of stairs, right? That all, you have to carry it. It's burdensome. It's hard. We need help doing it because we could never carry the piano down the stairs all by ourselves. Carrying each other's burdens means you physically hold someone when they cry on your shoulder and the snot gets all over, you know, and it gets all wet right here and you're like, oh my goodness. But they're sad. <laughs> they're grieving. Carrying each other's burdens mean you go to the hospital to visit their loved one and you talk about all their medical stuff and you're like, you know, getting grossed out, but that's what they're thinking about right then. So you do that. Carrying each other's burdens means you pick them up and you drive them out of your way to where they need to go. It, it means you help their mom move into another apartment on a Saturday at 8 a.m. It means you just choke up and feel awkward walking into the funeral home when you don't know anyone else, but you go because you're helping that person you love carry their burdens. It's when you remember to text someone and ask them how their test went or send them a card and let them know you're thinking about them. Revolutionary community requires us to carry each other's burdens, quite literally. That, that word is a verb, and it's something that we need to physically do. We need to carry each other's burdens. That's what the scripture says, to fulfill the law of Christ. But I think 
another thing on the flip side of this that's interesting is we need to let other people help us carry them. That is fulfilling the law of Christ too. When we refuse to share what's bothering us, when we stay in that shallow end, when we never let anyone help us out, when we keep carrying that huge grand piano down a narrow set of stairs all by ourselves, we are literally squelching the Holy Spirit. It is not in any way weak to receive help. In the Bible, Jesus did not hide the junk in people's lives. If you noticed, he, he doesn't give a false sense of perfection that we try to do sometimes, right? Everything's good. Yeah, it's great. In your mind, you're thinking, I am falling apart. He, he didn't say that um, the disciples or anybody in the scripture had this false sense of perfection. In fact, it's full of examples of failures of the faithful. Noah, Abraham, we talked about that last month, David, Peter, we get to see all their victories and all their failures. They're probably like, God, really? Can we just edit that part out? Like, does all of humanity need to know I got mad that one time? There are no exceptions. And he does that on purpose. Because I believe if we can trust the power of the gospel, then we can live openly and honestly in front of each other. It's proven that when suffering cannot be expressed emotionally, that there is, no, there is a consequent inability to recover. In other words, we need each other to get better. And maybe, I don't know, maybe you're still hurting about something because you haven't let anyone suffer with you. You haven't let anyone carry your burden with you. I don't know why it works that way, but it does because that's how God designed it. And sometimes God redeems your story by surrounding you with people who need to hear your past so it doesn't become their future. Sometimes God redeems your story by surrounding you with people who need to hear your past so it doesn't become their future. You are a walking story of who God is. That's you. That's, that's what God has designed you to be. You're the sermon, not this. What's happening up here? All right, it's you. You are a living epistle of God. When he wants to preach restoration or purpose or mercy, he does so through your life. Your life is the message. You are the sermon. And as we live that out and walk that out, we see in each other who God is. I, I believe that God is like, this many-faceted jewel, and, and we only see certain facets of him, and, and maybe all of our life we'll only see a certain portion of them. But together, together we can know more and more of God's character. Because to some of you, he has been um, God of comfort because you've lost someone dearly, and he, and he comforted you in that time, and, and you can testify, God has been my comfort to some of you, he is, uh, he's God the ruler because he's shown you his discipline and he's shown you his power. To some of you, he is God of the wilderness because right now it's dark and it's hard and it's frustrating and you are wondering where God is and you are just fighting through that. And then, and then to some of you, he is the God who keeps green pastures because he's healed you and he's protected you and, and he's, he's been so close to you and you know that. And you have to share that with someone else because each of us know something of God, some aspect of his gracious and beautiful nature. At Kyle for last year, I got this giant map and I ripped it into little pieces, one for each of the students that was there. 
And we talked about how in order for us to see the, the depth and the character of God and all the things that he gives to us and all the ways that he is, we have to pool our knowledge so that we can put the map together. In order for us to, to understand Greenland and Iceland, we've got to have Brazil, right? We've got to put all that together. And even then, we can't understand the, 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 the vastness of who God is, but we can understand something different than what our own personal selves God has revealed to us. And I believe that God did that on purpose because he made us to need each other. He made us so that revolutionary community would reveal his fullness. And he did so by setting up a system that it is impossible for me or for you on our own to know all that there is to know about God. You actually need the person sitting next to you. Look at them and say, I need you. I need you. Okay, you guys didn't really follow that direction, but I'll let that one go. But when we pool our knowledge, when we walk together on this side of eternity, we can teach each other and we can know God better through one another. I believe that real, true, honest community sometimes looks like an annoying car ride in the station wagon with your siblings. <laughs> sometimes it feels like that. You're annoying me. <laughs> Why are you doing that? But it involves going deep with people. It involves being intentional. It involves being sacrificial. It involves kenosis, self-emptying of ourselves. And it means we help each other. It means that we find common ground in our strengths. We find common ground in our weaknesses. And when we reset the preset, it allows us to be a community who's willing to spend our lives revealing Jesus. To spend our lives revealing Jesus together and to dig our feet in the ground and say, this is the place for you, Jesus, right here, we want you. All this is for you. Here it is. Please, please take it. Do with it what you want. This is the community that we have. We're broken. We're annoying. We drive each other crazy. But God, we want you more than anything. And we're going to be diverse and intentional. We're going to be missional. And we're going to open up the doors so they swing widely. So that we don't just close ourselves in here and have this fun little time. And we're going to invite people in to join the conversation of who Jesus is. So this morning, would you stand up? We're just going to take these last few minutes that we have. And we're going to put this word into action. So you got to loosen up, okay? Like you've been sitting. All right, you're actually going to like move around. We're just going to pray for each other. And here's, here's how it's going to work. In a minute, I'm going to say um, a, a prayer point, um, something... Um, that you need prayer for. And if that's you, you're going to raise your hand. Now, every, let's practice. Okay, you ready? Raise your hand like this. Okay, not, I don't want any of this or like me, you know. Because remember, we just talked about this. We cannot heal from our sufferings. We need to let other people carry our burdens. Fulfilling the law of Christ isn't just helping people all the time. It's also saying, hey, I've got the piano, right? Like, I need the help down the stairs this time. So you do this, okay? This is a clear indication. This is me. And then if someone's doing this near you, you guys are going to go ahead and like touch their back or you can extend a hand. All right, don't be awkward. All right, you guys can do this without being awkward, I think, all right? So you're going to extend a hand and we're going to pray for them. I'm going to pray out loud, just a quick sentence prayer, and then we're going to move on to the next thing, okay? It's going to be kind of fast. We're going to move through it, but we're going to open up the doors to begin to walk with each other on these prayer points for community. Make sense? Nod your head. If you don't get it, just do what everyone else is doing. It'll work out. Okay. All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to carry each other's burdens. If you are new to this community of faith, maybe you've only been here a few times, you're here with a friend, raise your hand. Is there anybody, only anybody, would you, would you consider yourself new to this community of faith? I see a few people. If you see somebody around you, put your hand toward them. 
You're moving. You're moving. You're moving your hands. Okay, Jesus, we thank you so much for these friends, and we ask, Lord God, that they would feel welcome here in this community. God, that as they begin to um, help us understand their burdens, that we could carry them together, and that, Jesus, you would bring us into a depth that we want to stay in the shallow end, and that you would move us as a community together. Amen. All right, you can put your hands down. Next, if you need direction, direction for a career, a major, life, you just need direction. You would say, I need direction. Raise your hand. All right, all over this place. Touch their backs. If you're near them, extend your hand. Jesus, I thank you for these that are saying, God, that they uh, need to hear from you. And I pray even this morning you would give them the next step. God, that you would give them the very next step, even if it feels small. Lord Jesus, that you would give them the next step and they would move toward you and the direction you have for them. In your name we pray, amen. All right, hands down. If you are currently having a financial struggle or a worry about money, if you need prayer for a financial struggle, raise your hand. All right, go to those people. Let's go. You're loosening up. Go to those people. All right. You ready? Hands in the air. (laughs) You're laughing at the financial struggle. I love this community. All right. Jesus, we know that you are Jehovah Jireh. God, we know that you provide for every need, and Father, that you provide in creative, amazing ways, and we ask, Lord Jesus, that today you would provide those things and that we could give you the glory for it. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. You're just getting ready. If you are... um, Grieving, if you're grieving the death of someone you loved or, or something or some relationship, or if you just feel this sense of grieving and you need some prayer for comfort, would you raise your hand? Go to those people. Jesus, I thank you, God, that you are the God of comfort. I thank you, God, that, that you love to remind us of your stability and your sovereignty. And I pray this morning, God, that you would lift this burden, that we could help these friends carry this burden of grief, Lord, as they walk through life. And it's in your name I pray, amen. All right, if you have a family problem that weighs heavy on you, you just have a family problem. My dad's here, I hope he doesn't raise his hand. Me. (laughs) If you have a family problem, would you raise your hand? All right, go to those people. Jesus, I know you know the details of each of these. And I ask you, God, that you would intervene. God, that you would intervene in in ways that we would never have dreamed. God, that you would restore relationships, that you would put things back together that seems like would be broken forever. God, that you would do something new and amazing and miraculous, and that through this community of faith, we could help each other navigate through these family problems. And it's in your name I pray, amen. All right, if you struggle with fear on a regular basis, If you struggle with fear on a regular basis, raise your hand. Go to those people. Somebody pray for me, because that's where I'm at. Jesus, I thank you this morning that you say, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. God, because you are faithful, and you are good, and you are everywhere, and you are sovereign, and you have seen the beginning, and you have seen the end, and you have seen the middle. And God, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would ruin every fear. God, that you would ruin every single fear in our lives. And God, it's in your name we pray, amen. If you have a health concern for you or your family member, a health concern, would you raise your hand? Raise it high, go to those people. Jesus, I pray, God, I know that you're a healer. God, you are a healer. 
God, that you can change the direction of any diagnosis. And so, Jesus, we pray this morning that you would do that. And God, that we would praise you for it because we know that you can. You have all the power to do so. And so we just declare, Lord Jesus, your healing in this room. God, we declare in faith. You say that as we ask in faith and as we pray together uh, in, in faith together, we're one or two or the other and gather, that you will heal. And so we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. If you are so busy, it's hard to keep God at the center of your life. Would you raise your hand? If you are so busy, it's hard to keep God at the center of your life. Go to those people. Touch it. You guys are pros now. God, I ask for clarity. I pray you would help us keep you priority. God, that you would remove all the obstacles that get between us and you. And Lord, that we could just keep you at the center, that you would give us uh, creative ways to make sure that our lives align to making you God and you only. I pray you would help the, the things that we have put above you vanish. And God, it's in your name I pray, amen. If you uh, need help beating anxiety or depression, if you need help beating anxiety or depression, would you raise your hand? Go around these people. Extend your hand. Jesus. I believe so firmly that anxiety and depression is so rooted in the enemy's tactics, God, because it can ruin our days. It can make us feel so worthless. And God, it is such a lie. And I just pray you would expose that lie, that you would help the people in this room that are struggling with that get the help that they need, whatever form that comes in, Lord Jesus, that you would help them make a plan to attack it. And God, that as a community of faith, we could beat anxiety and depression because we have we know the God who does. We know the God that, that, that continues to go into those dark places and shed light into them. And God, I, I know that we, um, we, we trust you that you can do that. And so, Lord Jesus, we pray that even if it's not an instant healing today, God, that it would begin the process. God, that we could leave here knowing that there is victory. God, because you are victorious, that there is victory in this moment. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, here's the last one. If you want to build deeper and better community, I'm going to wink at you. Everybody raise your hand, okay? <laughs> We're going to pray for that. So would you touch someone near you or put your arm around someone? <sighs> Jesus, I thank you for these people who came to church today. God, I thank you for those that are maybe even visiting that are from out of town. They're here for a picnic and God, I even pray for those that are going to listen to this on the podcast because they're already at their picnic. <laughs> and I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would make us into a community that loves you, a community that goes deep with one another, no matter what it takes, a community that exposes our insecurities and our weaknesses and our strengths so that we can see the way that you meet them and we can all understand a bigger picture of who you are. God, I pray that we could invite people into our circle of community that are diverse God, that we could be missional, that we could ask people to join the conversation in who Jesus is, and through that and in that, you would change us. God, we love you so much, and we just pray for this week. God, would you reset our preset about what community is, and it's in your name we pray, amen. Hey guys, have a great day. Eat some hot dogs. Happy Memorial Day.